used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day Finally made a friend of time Now you could say that I'm Aging gratefully Broadcasting from the rolling hills of the beautiful Tennessee Valley from the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains across this amazing nation and spanning the universe you're listening to, Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, bringing you exceptional guests and novel information to ensure you age great, live full, and embrace each extraordinary day for the incredible gift it is. Welcome to Aging Gratefully, most amazing listeners. So happy you're joining the show today. I welcome you with our signature pose, our smiles across the miles, our GrinFest self-care. That is oh so shareable. And that is how we begin the hour because it feels so amazing to smile. And if you are with others, be sure to smile and pass it along as we ignite our global GrinFest momentum. So, wow, I'm so excited for this power hour. Thank you, amazing aging rebels. You've been sharing the show. And I know that we've been charting every single day, globally, internationally, you've been putting us on those Apple podcast charts. Thank you. Thank you for spending one of your 168 hours a week with us. So appreciate every single one of you. So I hope you've been doing amazing. You deserve nothing short of that. Of course, you deserve your best life now, as we so aspire here on the Aging Gratefully show. But we do know that life can sometimes serve up surprises and detours, and we're not always in the driver's seat. In the last episode, we began the conversation on planning some of your important affairs, talking about different types of grief and how to deal with some of the more difficult times we experience in life. And there's so many different approaches. So I hope the many different episodes that we brought to you over and through the years on this topic and guest experiences that there may be something here or there that resonates and helps you along your grief and healing journey. Because we know that grief is unique for every individual. And through listening, there may be something that speaks to you and resonates through what we share. So last week, we talked about those wouldas, couldas, and shouldas, last episode actually, and quilting good grief and in hopes to encourage, promote, and healing towards peace of mind. Because we know that grief can feel dark. Speaking of dark. Have you ever been in a dark room and then suddenly someone turned on that light switch and the transition from dark to light was so instantaneous that you literally drew back like a rendering of Dracula being exposed to light and it felt nearly painful? Most of what we do is amidst the light because that is how we see best. Did you know that our eyes actually take hours to adapt to darkness and reach optimal level to see in low light conditions? It's fascinating, really, what happens when someone hits that light switch and our eyes leap into adaptation mode 
Similarly, when we, for example, leave that movie theater at midday and exit into the sunshine, we experience that flood of light and glare into our eyes and this influx of light, we go automatically into adaptation mode. So in other words, our eyes adapt for low light darkness and in bright light too. So it's just amazing to me how our bodies are on autopilot and do these near miraculous marvels of adaptation. But it's impossible for us to see anything in total darkness. Either way, speaking of seeing, we sometimes see, i.e. view, the world as a place of a beautiful abode, bright light, or a dark, disappointing dwelling. You know those amazing tunnels you drive through? They're like so cool. Some of them are really long. They're like carved through mountains, these long tunnels. You can roll the windows down. You're so tempted to do this and just yell and scream and get excited. You open the sunroof. But whatever you do, don't turn off the headlights because they're pitch black in the middle, total darkness. Sometimes in life circumstances, we may feel just like we want to sit in the middle of that tunnel for a bit and be with the darkness because it matches our mood. But the last time I was in one of those tunnels was on vacation, so it was actually lots of fun. And speaking of fun, this time of year reminds me of a tradition I shared with my mom when I was very young. So we would always be gearing up for festive holiday parties And there would be a lot of planning and preparation. There would be guest lists and menus being prepared. There would be special party favors that every guest was going to leave with. And the home would be decorated just so. And of course, we would use our finest china and cutlery. Often beforehand, my mom and I would sometimes have this ritual of polishing the silver together. And I believe it was partly about polishing the silver. And the other part was, I think, having some uninterrupted mother-daughter time together. So there is something special, though, about fine silver. Of all the metals, silver exhibits the highest reflectivity of all others. It is brilliant, each piece crafted so beautifully and unique. Many people have silverware that has actually been passed down through their families, now heirlooms for many, many generations. And there's something else about silver and that holiday pastime my mother and I enjoyed that perhaps many people don't like about silver. It needs to be polished. You see silver tarnishes. So you may decide to pull out your finest flatware only to realize that you have hours and hours of really hard, laborious work ahead that you may not feel is really, really worth it. When silver is exposed to sulfur-containing gases in the air, it becomes darker and darker with a layer of surface tarnish that over time continues to worsen. The longer silver is exposed to the gas, the more it has this chemical reaction, resulting in horrible discoloration of the once beautiful illuminating silver. So let me ask you, because the silver has been overcome and enveloped by this unsightly covering of tarnish, does 
it mean it no longer shines? Has it lost its gleam? Has the most reflective metal on all of earth lost its luster? Or is it still sparkling just beneath in spite of all the world's oxidation that has been cast upon it? It is shimmering underneath that gaseous corrosion because you can't stomp out light. You can only cover it up. Even in that tunnel, you have to go in one end and come out the other. You come in from light to enter the darkness and you exit back out into light. So about that silverware, sometimes in life, you can cover up and impair our brilliance and we may feel like there's nothing left to shine. But just like that silver shines and that tunnel has light at both ends, so do each of us. Even if we have points in our life when we don't feel it, don't see it, believe it, or even care, it's true and important to know and take stock in because the light matters. Remember, it's impossible for us to see anything in total darkness. And the gift of life is much too beautiful not to see. And with that, I would like to dedicate this week's show to the word light. And light is a noun, verb, and adjective. It has multiple meanings. In noun form, it means the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. And an expression in someone's eyes indicating a particular emotion or mood. In verb form, it means provide with light or lighting, illuminate, make something, start burning, ignite. In adjective form, it means having a considerable or sufficient amount of natural light, not dark or of a color pale. And this week's Aging Gratefully Alphabet Soup for the Psyche is a quote by Maya Angelou, nothing can dim the light which shines from within. Today, I want to have a conversation about light for hope, healing, and peace of mind with a truly amazing guest that I know every listener will so enjoy and appreciate and cherish. Her work is commendable. Uh, you're going to just really be so excited uh, to hear this conversation. I am. I was so excited when I was able to get her on the show. So Ashley Davis' book, L-I-C-S-W, has 30 years of experience as a psychotherapist in private practice. She is also the author of, get this, 10, I don't know how that happens, self-help books, including Light After Loss, as well as her classic books, Transcending Loss, The Little Book of Inner Peace. Ashley is trained in EMDR trauma work, as well as emotionally focused therapy. She is a Reiki master and a spiritual director who draws on many healing modalities. She and her husband, also a psychotherapist, divide their time between Guatemala and New Hampshire. I invite you to learn more about her soul-enhancing work at www.ashleydavisbush.com. It is with great pleasure. So excited to have you here with us today. Welcome to the Aging Gratefully Show, Ashley Davis Bush. Thank you so much, Holly. Wow, what a beautiful introduction. And I'm just delighted to be here with you and your listeners. 
Uh, we are so excited to have you with us today. Love your latest book. Congratulations on yet another amazing gift that you've brought readers and um, just to help encourage them um, just through so many different nuances that we face in life. So um, just love this book, Light After a Loss, A Spiritual Guide for Comfort, Hope, and Healing. So what inspired you to write this book? Well, as a matter of fact, I had no intention of writing this book initially, Holly. <laughs> Those are I the had, best kind, right? I know, right? Well, so uh -huh. um, my husband and I had moved to Guatemala. This is about three years ago. And that had been a dream in the pipeline for a while. We were just waiting to become empty nesters. And so as soon as the last kid, you know, went off to do his own thing, we just hightailed it to Guatemala. Now that was about three months before the pandemic, before March of 2020. So I actually had an editor talk to me as we had moved and said, are you interested in writing a book, another book about grief? Because my first book was about grief. And I said, well, you know, not really. I've just moved to Guatemala. I'm having a great time. I'm studying Spanish. I'm in a new culture. Thanks, but no thanks. And she said, well, we're really looking for a, a melding of spirituality and grief. And I said, oh my gosh, that would be an amazing book. Like I would love to write that book. That would be awesome. But again, no, I'm in Guatemala. I'm doing my thing. Well, lo and behold, the pandemic came. And what happened here is that um, in Guatemala, they shut down the airport for six months and they enforced a curfew where you could not leave your house between Friday night and Monday morning. So you were in your house literally all weekend. And so the, the ideas kept coming to me of how to write that book. And I thought, I have time now. I, I'm definitely, I'm just in a place where I can write that book. Ironically, that publisher didn't even publish that book. Someone else, a different publisher published it. So I'm always amazed how <laughs> life just weaves these ideas in and then takes you in a new direction and things happen the way they need to, right? Wow. So you said your other book, was that The Transcending Loss? That's correct. Mm -hmm. That book came out 25 years ago. And um, and so I, I really thought between that book and then I have a daily reader grief book called Hope and Healing for Transcending Loss. I thought I had pretty much said what I needed to say about grief, but really I found that there was more to say. And after 25 more years of work with people and education and experience and and just living, right? My own just being alive, I had more to say. And that became light after loss. And I love how you were talking about light in the different ways in the tunnel and the darkness. And I think light is an amazing metaphor for hope and for spirit and for life. I so love your work and admire it. And of course, uh, I agree. And I, I really want to talk about how you're using light to help and lead people and shepherd them back to life again. Uh, it's so important. And I, before I do that, I'm interested, didn't even plan on asking this, but different cultures around the world deal differently with grief and death. I'm wondering, there you were, I call it mentally marinating. You were forced <laughs> to mentally marinate there as you were kind of shut down um, and restricted uh, so there you were in a situation where it was ideal for book writing, right? Uh, exactly. To mentally marinate on your thoughts and everything else. But you were also in a different country. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering if that kind of expanded your viewpoint to be able to have a different understanding 
being immersed in that culture, but did that broaden any depths yeah. of where you took this writing? Absolutely. I think absolutely. Our environment is always shaping us and bringing us information. One of the most beautiful cultural um, events really that happens in Latin American cultures is Dia de los Muertos, which means day of the dead. Yes. And it happens right around, it coincides with our Halloween in the United States, although it actually is for November one, two, three, it's actually a three day celebration. And if you know anything about Dia de los Muertos, you'll know that they basically honor the deceased. They honor the dead. They go to um, cemeteries and have picnics. They put up ofrendas or offerings in their home, which have pictures of their deceased loved ones where they have a candle burning and they bring offerings of flour and fruit. And it's just an amazing celebration of love is what it is. Yes. And they even have the, the days are separated by day of honoring children who have died and then day of honoring older people who have died. And there's just a sense that these people are still part of us, still with us. And we're going to honor that connection. It's like uh, the, there was a Pixar Disney movie Coco that became popular that sort of showed this kind of celebration of life and death and love that happens by honoring the people who have died before us. And that kind of, it's in the air. There's something in the air here in, in Guatemala and in Mexico. And in fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to Mexico to Oaxaca, which is one of the biggest celebrations of Dia de los Muertos. So I'm pretty excited about that. So incredible. And we have so much that we can learn as we see uh, the honor and reverence around the world uh, and the different ways that uh, different cultures actually revere those right. that they have lost. And so I really appreciate that our conversation went in this mm -hmm. direction so um, that listeners have a chance to actually kind of um, understand that, you know, it's done differently in different places. So that's right. That's right. I love that your work, you know, you spent over 30 years kind of helping people. And I don't know what led you in this direction of grief. Would you be interested in sharing? Absolutely. It's not the typical way because often people in the grief and death and dying field had a major loss somewhere along the way that led them into that field. That was not the case for me. I was, I was in my 20s and I was actually living in New York City. And at the time I was working in public relations and it just wasn't clicking for me. I was spending my days uh, writing press releases for allergy medicine. And it, it just didn't, for me, it didn't feel fulfilling. I'm sure it can be for others, but for me at the time it did not. And so I really went on kind of a vision quest. I actually ended up going to New Mexico and visiting a place I had gone to in my youth. I was on a vacation. I literally climbed up a mountain and I'm basically praying to my higher power, what am I here to do? And I had this impression, the words came sort of not out loud, but in my head, a sense of you're here to help people in emotional pain was just like that. I'm like, okay, that, I can do that. I, that's great. I had a psychology undergrad um, degree. So I was kind of prepared for that path anyway. I just didn't realize it. So I came back to New York at that time and I went to graduate school and that my very first client was a grief and loss situation. It was a woman who'd had a murder. Her sister had been wow. murdered. This is my very first client. I'm, you know, Dramatic. 25 years old. I don't even know what I'm doing. Wow. I just was writing press releases last week. Suddenly I'm walking into a room with a woman telling me this. 
And I thought, wow, I could either really freak out and say, I have no idea what I'm doing, or I just like settled into the space and said, I know exactly what to do. I know how to sit with her. I know how to be with this. This is what I'm supposed to do. So it just went from there that I realized that was what I was supposed to do. It's like coming into alignment with your purpose just felt right. And I've been been doing it ever since. And so it's been really an honor and a privilege to uh, walk people along the path of their grief. Wow. Totally, totally amazing that you were able to find and seek out your purpose and then continue to live it so that you can help others. I love um, that we are able to um, have guests on the show that are able to uh, do that and uh, bring them to listeners. So it seems that um, it's so important to grieve and a lot of people feel like they don't know how to grieve or that, you know, they don't know why the grieving process is important. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the grieving process is has been pretty much the same for all these years, meaning you have to at first go into the darkness. You have to let yourself feel bad, badly. You need to feel sit in the sorrow. tunnel, sit in the tunnel. You just do. There's really no way around it, that that's part of the process. It's pain with a purpose. And so I really try to encourage people to validate and give them the space that it's okay if you're not okay. You need to withdraw from society a little bit. You need to be very tender and careful with yourself. You need to give yourself lots of self-compassion. You know, in the Victorian uh, era, men and women wore black armbands to indicate when they were bereaved. And they would wear the armbands for a year or longer. And the idea was to have people recognize, oh, okay, you're grieving. I'm going to be extra kind to you. I'm going to be extra gentle. And so, but we lost that. And we think we're supposed to just, boom, get back into life. Don't miss a beat. Get back into it. Keep working. Keep whatever you're doing. Stay on the treadmill. That's not really what needs to happen for grief. You need to kind of recede into your emotional interior world. You need to honor the feelings you're having. Now, some people will say, well, I don't really know how to do that. And so I try to help people, give them a little structure, some writing exercises, let's journal, let's cry, like give yourself 10 minutes a day where all you do is focus on your grief. Just give it space. I'm going to think about my loved one. I'm going to look at pictures. I'm going to cry. I'm going to talk about them, that you need to give grief time and space. That's the first part, really, Holly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And as far as someone, what is your best advice to support those who have endured a loss? Because it's very awkward. And, you know, mm-hmm. just in the experiences that I've encountered and anybody that I've talked to, everybody almost you know, a lot of people stay away because they don't know what to do. That's a common thing too. It is. It it Mm -hmm. so is. And I've talked to people who might, so I'm talking to the grievers and they'll tell me stories like, well, I went to the grocery store and I saw my good friend come around, you know, the corner of the aisle and she saw me, looked at me and turned away and just went in a different direction because she Mm -hmm. just didn't want to deal with me. And of course, oh, that's so painful for grievers to be Mm -hmm. isolated, to be avoided. So what I say to people when you're trying to support someone you love who's grieving, not to turn away, just to lean in and say things like, I have no idea what you're going through. 
as opposed to saying, I know exactly how you feel. They don't want to hear that. You don't actually know exactly how they feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say, I really don't know how you feel, but I'm thinking about you. How mm-hmm. are you doing? How are you mm-hmm. really doing? Mm-hmm. And then be prepared to listen. Be prepared to hear them say, oh, well, it's really a hard time and I'm just heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And just be with that. Don't offer a platitude. Don't offer a solution. I think it's also kind to just show up with help. So instead of saying, uh, give me a call if I can help or let me know if you need anything. No, that puts the burden on the griever and they mm-hmm. usually won't reach out. So instead to say, I'm sending dinner your way on Friday or I'll watch your kids on Tuesday so you can rest or mm-hmm. here's a gift card to a restaurant. You should just you know order in whatever. Mm-hmm. Or also I would say send a book, send a candle, send a teddy bear, send something comforting to them to say, I'm just thinking about you. I don't even know what to do to help you, but here's a present. Yes, definitely. Uh, honesty, you know, honesty. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. For exactly. Sure. Yes. And then what happens is that over time, when people give time and space and honoring to their grief shifts, start to happen shifts to, to healing because we never really have closure. We like to believe we can have closure that if you can just uh, find the body, have the funerals pass one year, that you're going to have closure. But that's not really how it works. Um, grief lasts as long as love lasts, and love lasts forever, really. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're going to keep grieving. It's just going to change and shift and have some nuances. So, so I like to let people know too that after a major loss, and when I say a major loss, people know what that is. It's a major loss when it just takes you down, breaks your heart. It's usually a partner or a child. It could certainly be a parent or a sibling. It can also be just a dear, dear, dear friend who you were really attached to, or it could even be a pet. I've worked with people who were more attached to their pets than they were to their people (laughs) because Mm -hmm. pets just embody unconditional love, you know? Mm -hmm. So whenever you have a major loss, someone you were dearly attached to, and then they're gone, Um, It's going to be this kind of process, but love is at the core of it. And this is what's so important. And this is what drives the shifts over time is that the love becomes bigger than the loss. And that's what I help people find and that light can do that. But what I was going to say is that in terms of a major loss, even 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, you will have days that feel like the grief is raw. So I call those grief bursts. And often they're around the anniversary of the death day, the angel anniversary, I call it, could be a birthday, some sort of meaningful day where the grief is so raw and it doesn't matter if 10 or 20 or 30 years have gone by. Grief weaves its way through your life. So the goal is really learning how to live with loss and how to honor love even as your heart is broken. Yes. And that's uh, the thing is people think that there's going to be an end to grief. Right. And there's not, right. There's not an end, but there are levels of healing. So that's why when someone's in intense acute grief, I don't want them to think you're always going to feel this bad. It's always Mm going to hurt this much. It shifts and you start to welcome life back in because we really are wired to heal. We're Mm -hmm. wired for resilience. But what I, one way I try to help people shift is into gratitude. And of course your, your whole 
your whole mantra is about gratefulness, right? And the gratitude that can happen when someone realizes that the love they had with their loved one is bigger than the pain they feel for their loss can be huge. So for example, I might say to a griever, if I could take your pain away, I'm going to wave a magic wand. You won't feel your pain anymore, not your sorrow, not your anger, not your regret. But the catch is that I'm also going to erase your memories of your loved one. So you never would have known them. You never met them. You never fell in love with them. You never had them as your child. They didn't exist. Would you want that bargain? Most people will say, no, no way, because the love they had with that person was so precious, even if it was just a baby, not even just a baby, but meaning even if they only knew them for a few days, a few hours, even then they would choose to have known that little soul than to have not. So love is just bigger, bigger, bigger than loss always. Yes. Grief is that love displaced like you can't physically apply it but you have to find other ways that are an outlet that's right and i think it's important for people to know that relationships are really in three categories there's the physical there's the emotional and there's the spiritual component of relationships Mm -hmm. so even when you lose the physical of the body on the planet you're still in relationship emotionally and spiritually. So the relationship does not end, even though their body is gone. And we still find ways physically to, as you say, kind of displace that by whether it's a gravestone or a place you go or a bench or even a tree maybe planted in their honor. We do like these physical touch points that remind us of the physical connection, but the spiritual and emotional connection has no limits, has no bounds, is part of your life everywhere, every day that you keep living. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. So on the other side of break, I was hoping as we enter the holidays, it's a amplified difficult time for many, uh, especially with the last few years that we've had um, and the heightened loss that so many have experienced. And there will be that empty place, uh, perhaps at holiday gatherings. And uh, many people will just be grieving um, former holidays as they were. And mm-hmm. so I'd like to talk about those anniversary, angelversaries, um, at, kind of focusing on holidays, um, those Thanksgivings where families gathered and it's, it's not the same um, yeah. and things like that. And I want to talk about this light after loss. And I just love this work that you're doing with light shift practices. So I would love for us to talk about that on the other side of break, if you're willing. Of course. Absolutely. Wonderful. Don't go anywhere because this fantastic conversation will continue today. We're so grateful to be with Ashley Davis Bush talking all things light after loss, how to find some positive ways uh, to kind of take your grief journey so that you can continue to be in life in positive ways. And her book, Light After Loss, a spiritual guide for comfort, hope, and healing. You can learn more about her by visiting her at www.ashleydavisbush.com. By the way, I know you out there love our show's theme song. That is for new listeners, Jim Beloff's Aging Gratefully, and you can find that on iTunes and Amazon Music in his album, Dreams I Left in Pockets. You'll love every song in the entire album. 
just download it. And of course, my favorite, I'm kind of biased, is always going to be Aging Gratefully is fantastic. And give Jim some Aging Gratefully love. I know we're talking about the holidays, but if you visit him at Flea Market Music, you might find some gifts for uh, the folks that are on your holiday list uh, because he has some really unique um, books. He says he can have you playing the ukulele very, very quickly. Uh, and he has written dozens and dozens of books, um, world-renowned on um, the ukulele. Uh, so anyway, he's been on the show multiple times and uh, you can check out those episodes. Special thanks to you, my awesome aging rebels, best listeners in the world. Yes, I'm biased on that too. Uh, tuning in some, from so many fantastic places. I appreciate you so much. Uh, for making us a top show on aging worldwide. Uh, we continue to rank, and I just really appreciate how you have been sharing the show. Thank you, Speedspot, for uh, continuing to recognize us in the lineup. And uh, we do really appreciate that uh, you're listening and sharing the show. And if I haven't told you lately, it is definitely time for me to let you know that you rock and you roll model, and you do. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Mike Anthony. My website is mikeanthony.com, uh, where you can find the book I wrote called Love Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. Uh, I just had the amazing opportunity to spend some time with Holly Kelly on her show, Aging Gratefully. And I'll tell you what, I feel greater after having spent some time with Holly. I highly recommend her show. Thanks so much. The Ladder Life Planning Institute is the ultimate guidance for life's inevitable destiny and your path to passionate aging and inspirational advanced care planning. LLPI offers tools that educate, inspire, and enlighten. Live vibrantly, plan thoughtfully, age dynamically. Visit LLPI for business and individual consulting services. Professional and keynote speaking, books, workshops, education, webinars, and resources. LLPI is here to transform your ladder life living today. Visit them at ladderlifeplanninginstitute.com. Live extraordinary, age dynamically. Visit ladderlifeplanninginstitute.com. Thank you so much, best listeners and guests in the world. Welcome back to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly, here today with Ashley Davis Bush, who promotes the importance of the grieving process, light shift practices, which we're about to learn more about, and so much more. Uh, before we resume this conversation, I want to give our listener shout out to a listener who emailed me. And uh, thank you. Sometimes you guys use other ways to get in contact with me. And um, this one sent me an email and said, uh, let's see. I love listening to your podcast and especially liked the episode with Matt. And that was Matt Maline, um, who was a guest. And he was the guest that uh, was the episode Empty Nest in Full Pockets and um, about getting rid of old beliefs. With a child about to head to college, this came at the perfect time. This discussion was very inspiring to my husband and myself. Thank you. So I just want you to know, thank you so much for taking the time to send me these notes. You guys are in my inboxes. You're in my DMs. You're in my 
email um, and you leave the reviews, but I appreciate it when you um, acknowledge our guests because um, I, I really select every guest so carefully and there can only be so many a year. And I forwarded that on to um, um, Matt and he was like, thank you, thank you. He really appreciated that too. So thank you um, for letting our guests know that you appreciate them because we do so, so much. Uh, and you show us that with um, the downloads that you do as well. Uh, you know what else we appreciate? We appreciate today's guest. She's amazing. So I want you to visit her at ashleydavisbush.com where you can learn more about her life enhancing work. Her very, very thought provoking blog. You want to read these. First of all, they're quick reads and um, they will just really um, be something that you enjoy. I would say, get your cup of coffee and go there and just read these. They'll bring smiles. And uh, her vast array of lineup of books, oh my goodness, from Peace, Healing, Acceptance, um, 15 Habits for a Happy Marriage, um, Spiritual Bliss. Um, in other words, it's just an entire lineup of life zen. You might buy them all. I don't know. Um, but um, in my opinion, she just has just some great stuff going on there. She's got articles, uh, videos, and you can reach out about her online counseling as well, which many of you after today's show may want to do. Just contact her directly. She actually um, does online counseling. So a lot of the world has gone online today and um, that's very convenient. So you just may say, you know what, I, you know, don't want to take the time and drive the car and uh, go to a therapist. It's just so easy to do it just right from the privacy and convenience of your own home. So she has a place right there in her portal um, online that you can reach out and schedule something direct with her and um, do your therapy and healing just right there from your computer. So before break, we said that we would talk to uh, about, I guess I want people to finesse the holidays with a little better ease because it's such a hard time, mm -hmm. especially that first one. Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, I think First of all, just acknowledging that it is different and things have changed is important. So trying to make it be exactly as it's always been usually goes badly. But let me tell you some other things that people have done through the years that uh, seem to be helpful. One is to light a candle as a group. If you have a group together or even if it's just a small crowd uh, or assembly of people, light a candle in honor of your loved one who passed in the past year. So that you say, we're lighting this for grandpa, we're thinking of him, we know he's uh, doing well on the other side, if you believe that. And just to honor their presence and their absence, that's important. Some people will actually set a table place for the person gone. Now, there's some controversy on that. Some people find it really comforting to have a, a place setting for them. Other people find that off-putting because it highlights the absence and whether you have the space or not, but that's an option that some people have. The other thing is to share stories, share stories about the person that's gone. That can be so uh, heartwarming 
Don't pretend that, that, that you're not thinking about that person because you are. So share stories with each other. Say, you know, one of my favorite things that mom used to do or mom used to make, sometimes it's making a cake or a something that they used to make. Just bringing them into the experience is basically the bottom line, that that's important. So important. And I think that what has happened here is the first thing is that I would acknowledge is everybody is feeling the dread of mm-hmm. showing up because they're acknowledging that it is the absence. They're feeling that everybody's going to feel bad and that it's going to be a terrible experience. So everybody right. walks in feeling that everybody's going to be down. And so they're wondering if it's going to not be talked about, which makes everything worse. Right. It's like the elephant in the room. Let's just talk about it. Let's say, oh, I miss mom so much. This is our first uh, Thanksgiving without her. Name it, say it, talk about it, share it, cry together, have a hug. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't pretend that it didn't happen. Know that it did happen. Mm -hmm. Then when you move on to a holiday like Christmas, you might want to have an ornament in honor of that person. Some people will get an ornament every year in honor of that person or make a donation or some gift in honor of that person. Share share the love. Say, I'm going to make a donation to an orphanage, to a hospital, to a hospice in honor of that person. So that the idea is that you're not pretending they didn't exist. You want to celebrate that they existed and that they touched your life and they continue to touch the world. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that idea. And it does kind of take the uncomfortable air out and it destigmatizes what's going on. You know, yeah. Um, Yeah. I like the idea of, uh, I had a jar and we all said, let's create a remember when memory. And Mm -hmm. we all wrote something down and stuck it in the jar and everybody would just pull one thing out and read it. And it, by the end, we were all laughing. Oh, I love that. Funny, you know, and, and it was just really, um, it was, it was a good time. And so it really cut the air um, because we were making fun of at the end. Uh, and I'm, I'm good with setting the place setting because yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. But yes, it depends on the situation and. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and what works for you. So I, mm-hmm. I try to help people trust what they need. If you need to bow out of the whole situation and say, I can't go this year, I'm not going to the family dinner, then honor that. It's okay. Maybe mm-hmm. you actually need to just be alone in your bedroom. Uh, one, one thing I like to recommend for people is to have some kind of quilt made or a throw of your beloved's clothing. So I've seen quilts made with ties, with nightgowns, with shirts, with dresses, and that becomes this amazing uh, literal thing you can wrap around yourself to remember them, to feel them, their love, their their energy, if you will. So you need to trust what you need. Maybe you can show up at a small gathering, but not the big gathering. Maybe you need to be home alone or with one or two friends. 
trust yourself. These are all, you know, what you just described with the jar. I love that. That's such a fun example. That is a light shift. A light shift is basically shifting from just your pain and the absence to presence and love and compassion and connection to your loved one. Anytime you do that, whether it's in your head, just sort of, I'm going to think differently, or I'm going to do a practice differently, or I'm going to do a breathing technique to try to ground me and shift toward the light. All of those are light shift practices, and they will take your grief to another level over time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, when you make it like a group experience, it just pulls everybody out. So let's talk about the light shift practices that you do. Like, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. is that helping people? And um, how did you come up with that? Like, let's, let's focus on that to help listeners with that. Right. Well, you know, most of my books have practices in them. Sometimes they're called practices or tools or mm-hmm. techniques. So whether it's for your relationship in my couples book or in the acceptance book or in my self-care book, I have a self-care book. I'm a big believer in practices that you can use quickly and easily. So they're they're kind of micro practices as opposed to macro practices. So Basically, when I wrote this book, I thought, well, I've got to get some practices in there that are going to help people. And they're based on an array of things that I've come across from tapping. Tapping is a technique which uses energy work to help shift your body. So I have tapping practices in there and breathing practices and body stretches. And I have one that's called... um, uh, nam, well, now I can't even remember it. Oh my gosh. But anyway, <laughs> Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. So just different things that you do with your body, your fingers, mantras. And then of course, there are just ways to shift your energy of what you're focusing on to redirect your energy, to redirect your focus. So let me give you an example of one right now. If you would, if you're willing, you're willing, mm-hmm. Holly. Yes, sure. I know you would mm-hmm. be because you're mm-hmm. so like I love your energy. <laughs> so if you just close your eyes for a minute and think about someone you love that you've lost, maybe in the last year, maybe in the last two years, this person who's no longer in your life, you cannot pick up the phone. They're not here. You cannot hug them anymore. You cannot go visit them. You cannot look forward to seeing them at your holiday table. Just sit in the sorrow of absence. They are no longer on planet Earth anymore. Notice what that feels like in your body. Now, I want you to imagine something different. I want you to put your hand on your heart And breathe into your heart. And I want you to think about the love that person brought into your life. I want you to remember fun times you had with that person, whether that was in the kitchen or on a vacation or sitting in a restaurant together. I want you to see their smiling face. I want you to remember what it feels like to hug them. I want you to think about the love that they had for you and you had for them and how that enriched and improved your life. I want you to think about them being on the other side of the veil, still sending love to you and just showering you with their affection and attention. And I want you to feel what it was like to have this person in your life and to still have them in your life. And what does that feel like in your body? 
And now open your eyes. What was that like for you, Holly? What was the difference? It was beautiful. It was unity. Unity. And when we were first talking about just the the absence of them, did you feel a kind of heaviness or a darkness before Mm -hmm. we made the shift? Yes. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. when you're, when you only focus on absence and how much you've lost, you have a certain feeling, but when you shift and focus on presence and how much you've gained, how much you still have in your life for having loved them and having been loved by them, it's a totally different ball game. It's a totally mm-hmm. different paradigm. So light shifts are all about shifting to the paradigm of gratitude, of love, of connection, of compassion, of faith, and, and keeping the connection with them alive. I truly, uh, totally support that. And I think that so many people are challenged to face it because of the pain and they don't, they want to ignore and they don't want to lean in. And I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, that's difficult, but I think it's so important to embrace. um, Well, the thing about pain, and I'm glad you said that because leaning into pain, when you tell someone, well, you can't get to the light till you lean into the pain, people are often like, what? I don't want to lean into the pain. That sounds terrible. So you lean into the pain with support, Mm -hmm. meaning you find someone to talk to, whether it's a therapist or a friend who understands, you find support groups. Lots of hospices offer support groups. Hospitals do. There's some national support groups like the Compassionate Friends, which is a national organization for bereaved parents. So find someone to share it with and then find things that comfort you. I'm a big believer in hugging a teddy bear, having hot tea, wrapping yourself in the quilt of their clothes. Give yourself ways to find comfort as you're leaning into the pain because it is hard. Of course it's hard. And no one wants to just you know, say, okay, you're going to have 10 years of root canals every day. No, we don't want to hear that. That It's so funny because the last episode, we literally talked about quilts. So there's so much symbolism coming together here. Our listeners are totally uh, going to be um, quilting for sure. Mm -hmm. So I don't want the hour to end without talking about something that is sometimes I feel like the listeners channel questions through me. And this one is just keeps coming up and it's been nagging me for the last 20 minutes. Want to make sure that I get this one to you. Judgment. Mm -hmm. Judgment towards the griever. Mm -hmm. You said, if you don't want to go and you want to sit this one out, don't go. There is, I've done a lot of shows on grief and I, you know, as a fellow in thanatology, I work in grief and I, you know, specialize, my focus is end of life planning and helping people in that genre. Uh, So I've been around a lot of judgment of the griever. I know. Isn't it true? Yes. And it's a heavy burden on someone who's already struggling. It's so unfair to put the burden, the judgment, the expectations. People say, when will you be your old self again? Come on, this you will be need good for to. You. you need to. You ought to. They would want you to, even. That or one. she's not acting right. She's mm-hmm. not doing enough of blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, X, Y, or Z. So you're right. Judgment is so such a heavy mantle. And I guess I would say to that 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 each griever is somewhat of a grief educator now. So the griever, in a way, two things have to happen. The griever has to educate people saying, it's okay that I feel bad and it's okay that I need to take care of myself. You're going to have to trust me because I'm not the same person anymore and my life is different now. So in a way, you have to broadcast your needs and, and let people know grief doesn't end after a week or a year. This is okay for me to feel. That's number one. But the other is that we have to keep educating people, educating people so that the judgment is lessened. Don't judge them. Trust their process. Check in with them. Say, I'm worried about you. Are you sure it's in your best interest to be alone? Just check in. That's all. You just question them. And then they say, yeah, no, I really need to be alone this time. Thank you for checking it out with me. Mm -hmm. So a combination of Grievers advocating for themselves and educating other people that grief doesn't just end and it's okay that I'm not okay. And then having the culture start to understand, to have a little more compassion to what this lifelong process is and not expect quick fixes. Yes. So important. And I ask that on behalf of grievers everywhere. Of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. And you would think that it is such a universal experience, but we still have such a hard time just embracing it, honoring it, settling into it, letting it be what it is, and then letting it take you to where it will. We we don't trust it. We're still afraid of it. But shows like this, Holly, help get the word out. So I'm grateful for you covering this topic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So is there anything that you would like to share uh, before we wind down the hour that's just really important? Um, I knew I wanted to get that one in. Is there something that you would like to share with listeners? I guess I would say to know that it's a process that healing is possible, but love is stronger than death. So be patient be generous, be gentle and compassionate with yourself on the journey and, um, and don't judge yourself. Let it be okay. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate the work that you're doing. These books, they just keep coming. Will there be another book? <laughs> there may be. Who knows, Holly? I'm open. I'm um, open to the process. I'm I'm certain that there will be another 11, um, an 11th book. Uh, so anyway, this book, Light After Loss, a spiritual guide for comfort, hope, and healing. But of course, there's nine others to choose from. Uh, so I invite listeners to visit you at ashleydavisbush.com. Your work is extraordinary. Thank you uh, for the gems and the beautiful light that you're bringing to so many during their darkest time and shepherding them along the way. We so appreciate it. And of course, we can't have the hour end without knowing how you age gratefully. Mm. I would say for me, because aging so far so good, I'm enjoying the process. Uh, If you remember that you're alive and that you're not actually dead, that people aren't grieving you yet, just to really focus in on your life. And for me, that means micro gratefulness. So what I mean by that is I am grateful when water comes out of the faucet. I am grateful that my hands can move and I can type. I am grateful that my stomach can digest my food. I'm grateful I can walk down the street. So I'm just always looking for micro, micro, micro gratitude 
because these are things we shouldn't take for granted. I'm grateful for electricity, for heat, for air conditioning. I'm grateful, of course, for all the other things like my husband, my relationships, my children, my work in the world, for you. I'm grateful for you today. So just basically saturating your life with gratitude. So beautiful. I'm so grateful that you have sparked our reminder to be grateful for the things that we often overlook and take for granted. And um, things like our our eyes going on autopilot and shifting um, automatically for us to transition from dark to light um, and uh, all the inner workings of our body that are on autopilot and all of those things that work without our um, prompting or even knowing. Uh, That's right. You, you That's remind right. us um, of how far we've come and all the things that just happen and are. So thank you. Thank you Good. so much. Yes. Thank you for this conversation. I really appreciate chatting with you about this. It was a beautiful time together. Yes. Yes, it was. And we appreciate you. So um, we wish you the very best uh, going forward and uh, please reach out after that next book. We'll do it again. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Great. You've been listening to Aging Gratefully. I'm your host, gerontologist Holly Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed our message, I invite you to subscribe and share it with others. May you remember to never act your age and that age is just a number. And may you enjoy and embrace the coming week in the spirit of gratitude. Until we meet again, here's to living your best life now. I used to think time was my enemy My future wasn't looking good So worried about the things I couldn't see I couldn't see the things I could I was aging fearfully Worrying my life away When all along I should have been Thankful for every day finally made a friend of time now you could say that i'm aging gratefully mm -hmm. 